Welcome back, Faithless listeners. You're listening to 42 to Doomsday, the 1378th best Doctor Who podcast out there. I'm Mark. I'm Doc. I'm Hayden. And I'm another Mark. How are we, guys? Yeah, we're all good. Thanks, mate. Thank you very much. I mean, the the, the flight over here was absolutely tragic. Turned out that, um, I don't know about you guys, because we were all sitting in different compartments on the plane, but I had this guy in front of me and he was just sort of tutting and sort of chuckling away at himself and he was swearing quite a lot as well in instances and then bashing his fist against the sort of fold-down tray. And it turned out to be Dan Hall watching uh, Ian Levine's Sharder. I wish I could get my hands on him, as he says. <laughs> yeah, so that, that, that was a bit of a disruption. Then by the time that we'd landed, we'd... Uh, discovered that Channel 5 in England had also uh, had also cancelled Neighbours. We touched down and we were instantly mobbed at the airport. I say mobbed, we were more sort of thanked at the airport by lots of people. It's a bit like when the Beatles landed in America. You know, it was excellent. It's fantastic. We had like people chucking Carl Kennedy's stethoscopes at Doc. Mark caught a few pairs of Madge's knickers that were thrown at him and... Uh, I had a couple of signs of Ramsey Street just like forced down my throat as well. And, uh, I even swallowed a Guy Pierce mullet, which was uh, shocking, absolutely shocking. But coughed it up now, so uh, which is ironic because that's what Channel Five aren't doing. So sorry, lads. Yes, they've uh, pulled the funding, haven't they, boys? Bouncer, I think, will be taken at the back and shot. <laughs> uh, ironically, though, where I live, they do some neighbours filming uh, down the local sort of parkway, and uh, had the truck out there a few weeks ago. I didn't know that the show was on dire straits, as it were. Only thing I did say to them said, "Look, if you're looking for a new bounce, you can take my nutcase dogs." We used to have it on here on BBC One, and it was on just before the news. Or for kids like me in the 90s, you'd then switch over to BBC Two afterwards and you'd watch The Simpsons. So it was sort of part of an integral watch, I guess, throughout the week. So I used to like it back then. But then they moved it to Channel 5 and, I don't know, something about ad breaks. I'm a bit of a traditionalist, you know. Don't like ad breaks. Well, we've always had neighbours with ad breaks here. But So when you're saying it's an integral part of the schedule, you mean it was like um, the 70s where you had the, the Generation game, Doctor Who, Match of the Day, and a movie and Parkinson at the end of the day. Pretty much. I mean, back in the day, you'd have sort of Blue Peter on at five, then it'd be News Round, then Neighbours, then you'd switch over to BBC Two and The Simpsons would be on, and one of the latest Star Treks would either be The Next Generation or Deep Space Nine or Voyager then Buffy or Malcolm in the middle. So, I mean, you can't ask for more than that, really. I think the total death knell from Neighbours has been sounded. British broadcasting heavyweight Michael Grade Uh has predicted another UK channel will pick up Neighbours, which Channel 4 said it will stop funding over the weekend. Oh, right. Well, I think we might as well wave goodbye to them for good, then. Thank you, Michael. The kiss of death grade. (laughs) Weaving his magic again, isn't he, really? Has anything been happening in Doctor Who land at the moment, apart from the Season 22 box set being announced? I don't, nothing really. Everybody got over their case of flux, especially you, Hayden. <coughs> um, I mean, yeah. After after sort of the second time vomiting in the toilet in the restaurant last night, it, it, I did. I managed to sort of expel a lot of vanquishers. I managed to get that out of my system finally. Out of series of six episodes, I only really liked two episodes. Looking back, but uh, but anyone who's listened to Diddly Dumb over the last three years, or three or four years now, will realise that every time we've been doing a new series. I think we've struggled, haven't we, lads? Oh, yes. We were wondering, weren't we, at one point, whether whether we should bother reviewing Flux, the new series, live as it came out, or whether we shouldn't, you know, just leave mm. it and then maybe a few months after to finish a look back on it. But we never have the guts to do this. Uh, and uh, 
often end up regretting it, particularly during the last three or so years. Short series, blessedly. So it had that going for it. Mm. Short, but not necessarily sweet. We stopped reviewing the live stuff because Rob ran out of desks to thump. <laughs> Ikea and uh, other furniture manufacturers are having supply chain issues back then, so we had to stop. You had some news, didn't you, Hayden? You know, you were saying that you only liked two episodes, Village of the Angels and was it War of the Santarans? Yeah. Didn't you have some news for us the other day about um, another Suntaran episode having been rediscovered? Or shall we say uncancelled? Oh, you mean the uh, a fix with Suntarans? The six-minute classic with uh, the Sith Doctor and Tegan and the Abomination, as he will be known. Voldemort Savile. Yeah. Do you know what? Funnily enough, I remember giving the two Doctors to my friend. And it's, this was the original pressed DVD. And it was just before I started selling them on eBay. And I looked it up on eBay and someone was trying to get rid of it for 50 quid. And I was like, why is that? And it turns out because on the first pressing they had the Affix with Santarans sketch. And then after the whole news about Jimmy Savile came out, it was then missing from future released versions of that, of that DVD. So I'm a bit surprised that it's gone back on. I can only think that what they're going to do is cut out the... I don't know whether you guys have watched it before, but if they're going to cut out the bits when older, uh, yeah, that man came on. Have him replaced by Steve Coogan. <laughs> yes, yes, he looks very much like John Pertwee dressed up for the Five Doctors when I saw a picture of him. <laughs> yeah, um, unnerving. So that'll be an interesting one to go up. But this is interesting, going, going back to what we said about Flux, I, this may come up later on in the podcast, but I find it tricky, and I have to, you know, we... I joined the podcast during the second Peter Capaldi series, I think, and I've always found it difficult to review Doctor Who, especially new Doctor Who, because I think Doctor Who works for me, and this is probably the same for you chaps as well, uh, through the power of nostalgia. And I really do think that things need, especially with Who, at least a few years to bed in, and a few rewatches sometimes, especially some of Moffat's stuff. I'm looking forward to the new run, but I'm also looking forward to the last two episodes for more than one reason. Yeah, I, I don't think it's just nostalgia that, that, that makes me want to watch Doctor Who, though. I, I, I mean, I, I think there's been plenty in, in the new series, especially, uh, well, up until Chris Chibnall took over, really, that I've really, really enjoyed on their own merits as opposed to being a sort of a, a, a nostalgia fest. I, I think the problem sometimes with, especially with reviewing something that that's a bit patchy, which is the kindest way I can think of to describe Chris Chibnall's era so far. Uh, you know, it, it's difficult because the, I think you can watch some stuff and switch off your brain and not think about it, and it's it's okay, it just sort of washes by. But uh, when you're trying to do a review of it, you have to mm. sort of sit there, watch it, focus on it, and think about it. And I think sometimes that can. Certainly having to watch them twice spoils the experience. Do you watch it twice, do you? Oh, usually, yeah. Once, once on that first broadcast and then once again to try to squeeze it in between. Um, this is why it's, why it's been a pain having them on Sundays because it gives you uh, one less chance to watch it again before we uh, usually record a podcast in the week. Just going back to the Fixers on Towers, if that's going on the season 22 box set, which I imagine is the point of the story, you'd have expected to hear someone at least by now demanding, wouldn't you? As they did with um, when they released series... Ooh, what was... Um, 14. There'd be some warning, a trigger warning for people. But uh, it seems to have passed everyone by, is not it? Hmm. 
Jimmy Savile used to trigger everybody anyway beforehand. Not a pleasant subject. I think there's been some news has come out of Gallifrey One, uh, sort of hinting at, at the fact that mm. they're going to continue with the uh, collections and possibly move on to the 60s series. Oh, right. Sort of use different ways of representing the missing episodes instead of just doing the animations. So that is going to be very interesting. Is that in light of the um, funding for the animations being uh, taken away? Yeah. Channel 5 pulled the funding on those as well, did that? <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to have to release a, um, a single and get uh, some of the lesser-known members of the Moody Blues and Bucks Fizz and Nicholas Courtney to record some uh, bits to it. Get Lee John back as well from Imagination. <laughs> Why not? In his Enlightenment costume, that'll do. That'll do the trick. But no, I, I, and, and it's made me think, actually, like, when it comes to the animations, obviously, they're not perfect. And there's people who prefer... Telesnaps, or there's people who prefer the loose cannon, or there's people who prefer which is a bit of a mix, isn't it? Sort of animation and and telesnaps, oh. and there's people who just prefer the audio. Um, so I just kind of think if they're going to release them without animation as part of the collection, why don't you just bung all of that on? And I'm sure they probably will, and just sort of give people an option as to how they want to listen or watch this stuff a bit like what they what they do with the animations to be fair like they do put the telesnaps on there they do put the audio books on there so yeah it'll be interesting but i, I think it'll be, it will be a shame if there isn't any visual representation in the way of animation i wonder if they'll leave a gap in the uh in the box sets a spare case for if they mm. do miraculously turn up that you can just slot it in like they did with one of the james bond blu-ray sets where you could put in uh, i think it was skyfall or specter when it came out yeah specter yeah yeah because Matthew Sweet was at Gallifrey one, wasn't he? He was, yeah, yeah. I, I've been trying to find some information about um, what's been said at the at the convention so far, and that that's kind of it at the moment. I mean, apparently the animations were never going to be the end all and be all as to whether the '60s box sets were going to come out anyway. They were always intending to bring out the box sets. Um, I think Richard Bignall's backed that up on, on Twitter today. So I think they're just going to continue to go ahead. But it, it does feel like, I mean, we've got, what, 11 seasons released now, haven't we? Including season 22. Mm. So I don't know. I mean, it does feel like they're going to have to start releasing the 60s ones soon. And I just think it's such a shame that you've got the Crusade sitting there with just, just two episodes missing and that they just just can't do it. Well, they just they say they haven't got the funding to do the myriad of um, characters, but then but then again they they could populate an entire airport for the faceless ones, and animate an episode that already existed or two episodes that already existed for that. So I I do find it odd. I don't know. I I, I just hope maybe they'll just go back to what they did before and just if there's one or two episodes missing they'll animate those and then just concentrate on that perhaps. So near, but yeah, so far, I think. I mean, the Crusade at the moment is only really... The only viable option is Telesnaps, which they, had, they do have for the missing episode. So hmm. I think that's the obvious candidate. That's why one's been said it's the one that's ready to go season two first because it's uh, largely complete. Marco Polo, they've still got that 30-minute recon they put on the beginnings box set. Of course. Oh, I forgot about that. So they've got that. They could bang that on. It's, it's going to be interesting hmm. going forward if they've got no animations to speak of and, and season three's got no Telesnaps. Could it just be uh, stick figures and soundtrack? <laughs> Some people actually say it's Galaxy 4 anyway. <laughs> I do wonder whether the backlash to the Web of Fear may have cost BBC Studios their funding because that was clearly being set up as a way to do the episodes with more characters and do them easier because you could just replicate movements and all the rest of it. 
but that was so loathed, wasn't it, by fans? Um, I don't think I've seen anyone anywhere raving about that animation style. Well, they were raving about it, but in the wrong way, weren't they? Huh. Well, exactly. They were foaming at the mouth about it, yeah. So yeah. I wonder if that's played a part. And they've now thought, oh, shit, we can't do that then, because everybody hated it. And that may have put stuff like Mythmaker's Dalek Master Plan and Marco Polo on the back burner, because... Uh, Possibly. But if you had the option between having a Web of Fear style animation or nothing, what would you go for? Do you know what? Controversially, I'd throw it all in the bin. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'd still have the animation. Yeah. Because it's still filling a gap. You know. I think it just hurt because it was the Web of Fear. And it was like... Yeah. When I watched it, I was I was about like, a bit like Ralph in The Simpsons when he's pausing <laughs> to see the moment his heart breaks. That was... Look, I'd never watch Anne Travers in the same light again with her head tilting the same angle as a, a sea devil was in uh, Warriors of the Deep. <laughs> oh, that's ironic. We've just done that one. Spoiler alert. And they've just released the character options set for um, Warriors of the Deep. Instead of having, I would have thought, a uh, armoured-plated uh, sea devil. Armoured-plated sounds like a Terminator. <laughs> you know what I mean? The samurai mm. sea devil in there. Uh, a Solurian, maybe, I don't know, a murker with paint that doesn't stick to your hand hmm. uh, they just basically packaged three Solarians together which again makes me uh, think that the Doctor Who fans will buy any old tat yeah there's um, I, I saw people um, unboxing them today they've already people have already ordered them and they've already arrived but yeah 30 quid a pop is a lot isn't it but I, oh. I mean if you put in two new moulds it'd be even more ridiculously expensive I, you know, you'd be looking like 100 quid or something. When the figures are released, if you do buy them and go to B&M, I like the shelves just ravaged with people who got in there before you guys and scalped them all and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, for me, it's the latter. Uh, you get in there and um, my sister went to go and buy some a uh, couple of sets for me before Christmas um, when the uh, Vord and the Sensorite sets had come out. And... Um, oh. She couldn't find them in the shop, and she asked the manager, and he just laughed at her and said, oh, "You've got to be joking, haven't we?" Uh, the morning we opened up that they were in, um, um, what uh, a man came in and, and bought the whole lot that we had in stock, and um, he does that every time. And it's like so basically that B and M will never ever have it in stock because there's always going to be that guy who goes down there in the morning and just buys up all the stock, and and uh, they're quite happy about it because they they just get their money. So, oh, it's um, not fair, is it, really? No, it's not. Uh, I, I do. Um, I, I don't like to just rag on the uh, on the most recent series, but uh, that didn't happen with the Thirteenth Doctor sets. Uh, the yes, yes, and uh, Ryan and Graham sets. Yeah, those those, those didn't. Uh, those were still knocking around for quite a while afterwards. But yeah, all the classic Who stuff it gets hoovered up pretty quickly, mm. unfortunately. But like the uh, the Blu-ray box set, mm. cardboard ones, you get people you know, buying multiple copies and then they see them being released later on for extraordinary amounts. Now that they've started releasing them in the smaller cases um, as an unlimited release, I've noticed that the price dropped dramatically for those um, for the collector's edition sets. Oh, good. And also, Lance, the standard versions are much nicer on the shelf. I can send you a photograph of them. They line up beautifully with the other ones. <laughs> Whereas the bigger versions, I have to admit, do look a bit clunky next to them um, and tend to break in the post. Yes. The tray's falling out because they're not glued on properly or my season 26 one was a bit condensed at, at the top um, because it had been crushed. 
Whereas with the standard version, it's just a little bit bigger than just your normal Blu-ray set, one disc thingy. Whereas these ones have obviously got eight in them. I, I can't wait because uh, we've only got a week to go until season 14 comes out on um, on standard. And then uh, I think the standard editions are going to start revving up actually to the point where you get the choice when they announce a season's coming out. You can buy the limited edition or the standard at the same time. Oh, good. And has that got Talons in that one? Talons is in that. Yep, yep. Talons hasn't been redacted, so yeah. that's all good. Oh, that's good news then. When they order the box sets over, because you know some of us getting them sent from the UK, talked about you condensed it on season 26, because we're obviously a lot further away. My season 14 was uh, in a deplorable state. Retail, we get them from this loosely wrapped in cardboard mm. and you know, flying over our shores. So every, every time one of them turns up, you know, people in my group go, oh, look at this, it, the spine's battered on season 17. You go, oh no. So uh, yeah, we've had to take some other means to get them all um, over here safely. Wow. Actually, one thing that did come from Gallifrey One that did come through my Twitter feed was uh, this this chap here said, uh, Lee Lon said, their general thoughts on some of the panels. The Chibnall hate is mm. palpable on the panels and the audiences significantly more than two years ago, which was in the immediate aftermath of the Fugitive of the Jadoon, but before Timeless mm. Children. So, um, And that was just Mandip Gill, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, and uh, and the master. Sasha Dewan, yeah. Sasha Dewan, worse than the last one. That rhymes, <laughs> isn't it, really quite nicely? What do they mean by hate on the panels? They mean that the, with those two on the panels, people have been reacting badly to them. Or on other panels, people have been saying... What do you think of the uh, latest series? They've been saying more fan-based panels. It wouldn't be, yeah. It wouldn't be like, uh, yeah, when, uh, <laughs> yeah, when the actors are there. I don't, don't think people are going to be going, "Hey, I hate your series of Doctor Who." <laughs> Probably the fan panels are the ones who aren't uh, employed by Big Finish or writing books or anything like that. They want to obviously keep their uh, hand in the uh, in the action, as it were. <laughs> Yeah, the, the fan panels who are potentially just doing podcasts, I don't know. Of course, I didn't get over there this year due to uh, quarantine restrictions and, of course, the uh, <laughs> La Patreon uh, account. So uh, we oh. still don't have one, so uh, something to look forward to in the future. Have you been over before, Mark? No, I've never been to one, no. I don't think I want to, I'll be honest with you. No, I've completely gone off conventions. I think they've served their purpose. I think mm. I've met the people I want to meet. I think I've, I have I now know that anyone else, I'm going to have to break the bank and I'll just refuse to do that to pay a millionaire to stand next to me for a minute and smile prettily at the mm. camera. I ain't going to do that. So. Well, if you don't want to meet me, Hayden, then that's that's your own decision, I'm afraid. <laughs> well, only, only six more weeks before uh, we're uh, at uh, Capital 5. I enjoyed the Capital Convention a lot, actually. It, the first one I went to, it was really important to try and get around and meet and see everyone. And now I kind of enjoy just going along and... Uh, Quite often find ourselves, don't we, just sort of sat outside in the bar area going, oh, there's a panel on. <laughs> I think you guys are very lucky over there to actually have that type of uh, convention experience still there. They just announced that Christopher Eccleston's coming over uh, one of these big, I won't say the word convention, big signing event. All right. And um, I think it's like $500. You can get a, I think it's called a Gallifrey Pass or something like that, which is basically you get a photo, an autograph, something else, and you get, you, you're guaranteed a seat at the Q&A which invariably is going to say, are you going to come back to Doctor Who? Of course he's going to say, well, yeah. mate, you know, and off he goes. I just sound like Phil Morris, and apologies for that. And you think it's like uh, photos about 100 bucks a pop and autographs are 100 bucks a pop, wherever they are. Like you, Hayden, I actually, it wasn't until I went, uh, I spoke to somebody on the weekend, they said, have you booked your photo? And I said, 
actually no I haven't done anything and this this is completely passive but I think like you it's like I'm a bit price gouging of it now this doesn't no sit well with me that, that's probably just me but also I've got a picture of him I, I bumped into him when he was filming in Melbourne last time I've got a picture of him in a bar mm. that's good enough I think the moment for me the moment when I sort of woke up to the fact that it's a complete rip-off was um, Showmasters doing mm. the um, London Film and Comic Con over here where they start well they were charging people to get in charging people for yeah, just just extortionate amounts and uh, I can't remember if it was here or if it's or if, if it was in America it probably was America but there Matt Smith and David Tennant were doing joint signings and uh, photos like posing with the fans mm. and it was something like a grand a pop come on and I mean and David Tennant during the during the COVID crisis uh, was reported in the Daily Record as bringing in over two million pounds in. Well, I don't know why, in, in, in just in earnings. And I think, well, this guy doesn't need that, then does he? So he's just milking the fans for all they're worth. And I, morally, I just think that's shit, to be honest. <laughs> it's a lot of money. And I know Eccleston used to donate a large portion of it to charity, so I don't know if that's still on the uh, cards, as it were. But... The rationale that I use with the older actors, so like the classic era, and, and even, you know, sort of the minor, more minor characters from the recent series, is that... They haven't got this money. And they if they're only charging like a five or a ten or a pop, I would think to myself, okay, right, well, I'll give da-da-da that one or I'll go and have a photograph with blah-blah-blah. But when it came to the doctors, I was always a little bit trepidatious with that because they have a big, large industrial career behind them. Unless you're Colin Baker and you've got four daughters to put through university, you know, and then you think, okay, well, I'll, I'll help you help you with that fun then, mate. But... Um, but yeah, to ask fans to spend over a thousand pounds for what, at the end of the day, is a photo and a squiggly bit of—I don't know—I I, just for me, I just thought, nah, this is it's dumb for me, really. So, bit of a shame. But um, I mean, the Peter—the time I met Peter Capaldi, it, it was a—it it was a hundred-pound um, charity event where you just, you paid a hundred quid for the ticket, and you got—I mean, I think Capaldi was there. Um, they had about 20 companions were there. You got a free autograph from Jackie Lane, wow. who didn't attend, but you got a Jackie Lane autograph. And it was worth the money, and it was going to a good cause. It was um, Janet Fielding's Project Motormouth event. Mm-hmm. So I was fine playing that, mm. you know, and also I was single at the time, which helps as well. <laughs> so, so, you know, if you've got the money in it, in, uh, unfortunately, the, the, you know, the, there are people willing to pay those amounts of those huge amounts of cash so, so that, that there is a market for it and mm. uh, it's just uh, it's just capitalism in uh, yeah in action isn't it at, at the end of the day well that's the way capital tends to do it doesn't it you pay you pay a, a sort of um, mm. for your ticket up front and if it, then with very few exceptions the um, the autographs are all uh, free from then on aren't they I've got Sir Bernard Cribbins himself Going to be there in April. Good old Bernard. Jill Curzon and Jenny Linden, the two... Um, Dalek movies. Susan's going to be there, Carolyn Ford. Ah, now, I don't know if we ought to really. Maybe you ought to pick it the front door of the hotel, guys. Oh. Because Mark Strickson's going to be there. You know my feelings on uh, people people who read who read up their hair. <laughs> um, Fake gingers. And uh, uh, we, we cover this in our next Dibbly Done podcast. If, you, if you've got a problem with... Uh, blacking up and yellow face, but you've got no problem with someone dyeing his hair red. <laughs> and I just think um, people have got to bloody hell, he's aged, isn't he? Hey, Mark Strickson. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I want, um, 
<laughs> we'll mention any names. Uh, as a fan, actually, more than uh, a thing. Ah, oh, okay, um, right. We'll get to talk to Alistair Pearson this year now that um, Mark's given up smoking. <laughs> oh, no, that's true. That, that, that's one of the great things about smoking, is, is you get to... All, all human life goes and stands out the back to have a fag. So you get to... You get all stratas of society and uh, who fandom and who stars hanging around out the back having a cigarette, which is nice. And you get to chat with Katie Manning as well and stuff. And it's, yeah, it's lovely. Um, by the way, you do have to pay for some autographs. Uh, some autographs you get free. They give you like a fistful of cards with a, a, uh, an actor or, That's right. or whoever's a guest's name on it. And you can trade that in for a free um, autograph. I think like we had them for William Russell, didn't we? Um, and other people, and there's a few people that there, there, there always is a few people like uh, sort of the uh, higher tier classic companions and 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 doctors, obviously when uh, Colin or Sylvester's there, I guess. Has Sylvester ever been there to Capital? Uh, not necessarily. Yeah. Unless he was the, that. Was remember. it the fortieth one that you went to? Aiden? It was time four or time five, I think. That Sylvester was there. Oh, right. Yeah, just like. Drunk, drunkenly hugged him. Oh, right. Unless otherwise stated, two free autographs will oh. be available for, for guests signed on personal items. And I think that's mainly just to um, just to make sure the queues don't. Uh... That's right. Or you can buy. They bring their own glossy photos, don't they, as well for you to. So you can mm. pay for the photo, but you get the signature free. That's right. So he signed photos from Katie Manning only because he wanted a hug. <laughs> yeah, maybe if, if they're going to allow a hug, hugging with social distancing maybe well, Katie's cues will go much quicker this time well Doc oh. some of us have had a kiss from Katie Manning Saturday. Spider-Man Spider-Man does what he materialise ah! what a way to go eh <laughs> <laughs> Now, our main topic is we're going to talk about what is the worst Doctor Who story you could introduce a uh, person who's never seen the show before. Now, we were preparing for a different topic, which was about what album or song would best reflect a Doctor Who story. We need to refine that. I think you agree, boys, um, because I was coming up with things like, you know, for the empty child, I'd well... Please wear my ding Signify John Barrowman's introduction to the series. <laughs> For Journey's End, when Rose gets her sex doll doctor, I was going to say, I wanna you like an animal. I wanna feel you from the inside. I wanna you like an animal. By nine inch nails. So I think we need to uh, just refine that topic a bit. So I think, so Doc came up with this, he's going to use it for Diddly Dumb. And he mentioned it, and unfortunately, I just pinched it. <laughs> well, I say pinched, leveraged it. I think uh, I think the word is doc, and it was a great topic. And I appreciate you uh, sacrificing that one that we could use it on uh, this podcast tonight. We went out to Twitter. We got a whole lot of feedback from Twitter as well. But before we get to uh, those responses from listeners and things like that, we thought we'd go through our list of what would be the worst story you could introduce to somebody. I will pass it over to uh, our lovely guests over in the motherland. But over to you, chaps. So hang on, none of us are in New Zealand. But I don't know that, Mark. I'm not sure what's going on there. It's not unknown, is it, for um, people to do uh, what's the best story to use to introduce a newbie to Doctor Who to get them wanting to watch regularly. So we thought, what's the very last stories that you'd choose if you wanted someone to watch Doctor Who? Mm. Having come up with the idea, we've then been thinking of the last few weeks, oh Lord, what, what criteria do we use? Is it just 
a simply exciting story, isn't it? Will this get people to watch? This is a crappy, boring story, isn't it? That's not going to get anyone to watch. Do we say, oh, that might be an exciting story. They're not going to know who all these um, characters full of backstory are. Uh, so um, I think we'll see, we'll see as it goes how we're going through. How do we want to do this? Do you want to do this? Um, do you want to start at the beginning? We'll go for our list, and if everybody's got the same, the same sort of uh, suggestion, we'll just say, yeah. like, oh, I've got that as well. We'll snap it, as it were, and then we can just, just talk about it. So I think Hayden said he's got 137 of them. Oh, 138, Mark. Ah, okay, sorry about that, yeah. I didn't know there's that many stories in season 17. <laughs> yeah, he's watching it in slow motion, so it's double <laughs> <laughs> If we start off with the story that has, has the, your thought is the least backstory possible, which is uh, Unearthly Child, you think, oh, that's, yeah, that's really a seminal story. You think, oh, it's really, it's entirely saved by episode one, that story, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. If all four episodes have been at the standard of the last three, mm. <laughs> maybe Doctor Who would never have taken off for any of us, never mind any newbies. But it's not something that I would think of, of, say, of giving to a newbie. Ironically, I suppose, because you would have thought, well, that there's no better jumping off point, in a way, than right at the beginning. But it's the sort of story where, if you'd got to the end of episode one, the planet they'd landed on had been Scaro, you know, and, then, and after episode one they'd, they'd gone straight into the Daleks one. <coughs> Unearthly Child is something I'd, I'd back away from, but it's not, it's not what I'd call the worst. I did notice going through all the Hartnells. I don't think there's, um, we can really judge the ones where there are totally or partially missing stories, can we? But no. I did notice that in the... And this is possibly just my, just my tastes, really. I was going right through from Unearthly Child all through stories in order. And I wasn't coming across many that I was thinking, oh, that's, that's a real disaster. It's a real turkey that I wouldn't go anywhere near that. Obviously, there's stuff like <laughs> Galaxy 4. Yeah, well, you put the animation or the, or the telly snaps on. You want to try and encourage people to watch the program. Be, that'd be similar like to me saying to somebody, hey, listen, you, mm. love, you, know, you love historicals and you love history. How about I put you on seven episodes of a telesnap reconstruction of Marco Polo <laughs> without the use of alcohol or hardcore drugs? <laughs> I don't think it's going to entice anybody to sort of sit down and um, you know continue on watching the series. I really like that idea of an Unearthly Child Part 1 going straight into the Daleks. I can remember a time when there was still... I'm sure I can remember a time there was still some sort of debate. So you know how the... Um, was it not until the 10th anniversary that they actually started giving individual story titles? So, for instance, um, most, most of the Cardinal stories were all... Had their own separate episode titles, didn't they? Mm. That's right. I think some people used to refer to the first story as the Unearthly Child. Some people used to call it the Tribe of Gum. Some of these people call it, what, 100,000 BC, or yeah. something like that. <laughs> Imagine if they got that on history as the tribe of gum. I just call it, we're lucky we've still got it. And you might watch the Crotons and think, oh, this is a bit um, old-fashioned and slow, isn't it? But I can't think they'd, they'd necessarily think, God, I'm not going within a million miles of this show again. Uh, whereas um, the things later on in the in the uh, time, see, the Hartnell era, the gunfighters. It's I don't actually find that as bad as people think, as people as many people seem to. But I think the issue of the gunfighters is that I think people mislike it because it's so much of a a departure hmm. from the way we're expecting Doctor Who to go. Now, 
in a way, that that's also an argument, isn't it? Because you might think of the gunfighters is perfectly enjoyable as a sort of uh, comedic romp. It might be really a bad idea to give that to a newbie as their first one. Not because it would put them off, but because it would be... That's another of the reasons, isn't it? It would be, it would be very, very misleading. In the same way, at the other end of the, uh, of the scale, if you gave someone City of Death or Blink to watch... Yeah. They might have thought, oh, this thing, oh, this is amazing. And then <laughs> it'd be so much of a come down to start watching subsequent stories. I'd say, oh, actually, they're not all like this at all. Yes. But um, they might put them off. So maybe start start someone off on something that obviously not that's boring, but at least where, you know, um, they're not going immediately going to jump off a cliff as they saw other ones. With regards to black and white episodes, I know that uh, my friend Nick, friend of uh, Diddly Dumb Podcast, he's the chap with the headphones on the train incident. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, which uh, <laughs> <laughs> some Diddly Dumb regulars will recognise the, the reference. Uh, he, he was listening to uh, the Diddly Dumb Podcast for a few minutes on a train and uh, <laughs> he suddenly thought, it does sound a bit weird. He looked down and his uh, headphone socket wasn't plugged in so he'd just been playing us on loudspeaker in a train carriage for about five minutes <laughs> uh, which which, uh, which would have done wonders for our audience fingers <laughs> so apparently many uh, lots of lots of passengers on the, in this train carriage are looking around thinking my god Terrence Dix is somewhere in the carriage today where is he <laughs> um, but he, he tried to get his son to watch various old uh, TV and old episodes of stuff his son absolutely refuses to watch anything that's black and white because he feels that not enough money was spent on it at the time they made it <laughs> ah fickle youth he f- feels it's just the makers being lazy and um, he, he once showed him an episode of Camberwick Green and his son turned around to him and said dad this isn't really a television programme is it you've made this haven't you <laughs> Wow. Jeez. <laughs> but he did manage to show yeah. him, I believe, uh, Robot in its entirety and Genesis of the Daleks, but then that was it. And he kind of liked Tom Baker, but uh, I think he kind of drifted off halfway through Genesis of the Daleks and they've never gone back to it. So I think it's the length of it, probably. You know? Yeah, and yeah, and there's a lot of to and fro isn't there? Yeah. So for a young mind who's, who's used to higher-paced stuff. I mean, that, that's the thing as well, isn't it? A lot of this depends on who you're showing stuff to. Mm. Um, I guess. But yeah, black and white stuff, absolutely out as far as uh, my friend Nick's son is concerned. I was actually going to suggest maybe the Space Museum, where you've got a fairly okay first episode, and then the rest of it just dives into absolute snoozeville, mm. where you're sort of giving somebody a bit of false hope at the beginning, and then once they get to two, three, and four, they're ready to um, mm. maybe lock them in a padded room uh, so they can't get out, they have to watch the rest of it. That'd be a pretty bad one for me to... Um, show somebody I'll be honest with you one of the things that intrigued me the most when I was a kid was the black and white episodes because there wasn't a lot of black and white on telly and if there was it was always really early Saturday morning repeats of stuff like Flash Gordon and the Munsters and it just really intrigued me because it just looked so different and in a way it sort of masked some of the more sort of ropey aspects of the production back then as well so for me on this list i've only got three black and white episodes and i haven't put them down because they're in black and white but i think that's probably just because of my thought patterns when i was a kid but that's because we were already fans so this stuff already had mystique to it for us it was like doing an archaeological dig wasn't it um i mean i mean when when the five faces of doctor who came on on telly that time it was just oh 
amazing to be able to watch the unearthly child on my little well it was a black and white portable at the time that i had in my room anyway it was just amazing if you were a mad keen fan of new who then you might be prepared to work your way through say a, a 10 or 12 episode from classic but otherwise you might think i mean if, if even people like ourselves who first came on came to the show in the classic era um, I certainly find uh, working on ways through the classic like war games. What was that ten or twelve episodes? Is it ten? Yeah, a bit of a strain. Uh, particularly, it's, it's not just the fact that it's so many episodes; it's quite old-fashioned in its in the way it's just kind of quite slow and stagey production, isn't it? And you could imagine um, younger people now just checking their watches. They'll be on their phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You couldn't set them down to. Uh... To, to watch the 10 episodes I have done the 10 episodes in a row once uh, when it was on that when they they were showing uh, Doctor Who on that Twitch channel and um, I, they, they broadcast all the all 10 episodes of the War Games back to back and I watched it then that's about as good as my experience I was given it on a 4 hour tape this is in the late 80s and my VHS recorder at the time was a second hand one every time you press stop sometimes I'd chew the tape and I was so scared of it oh no played it 4 hours straight and this is like 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and I kept drifting in and out of sleep. And every time I woke <laughs> up, it felt like I was in exactly the same place plot-wise than what I was when I fell asleep. Oh. So are we saying for the, for the black and white era, I mean, I've sort of said Space Museum. I could probably say Sensorites as well. Mm. That'll put people into a coma. <laughs> is there anything else that you would not show somebody? Well, I don't know, because I, I don't particularly like Planet of Giants. but I, mm. I But also... Having said that, it's quite—it's only three episodes nowadays, isn't it? Um, yeah. You know, maybe it's not the worst thing to show somebody from that era. And even if you're bored by the story, you can imagine people perhaps being, you know, diverted by the little and large mm. design uh, aspects of it. So, um, underwater menace. Yes, it was. Uh, that's still partially missing, isn't it? Technically. Funny enough, mm. I the I I, I watched. Uh, the, the Macro Terror animation once with uh, my old housemate who's not particularly into Dog 2. They got fine with it. Oh, really? So that went down quite well. So I, I can't include the Macro Terror animation. Would you show a newbie animations? Certainly not Web of Fear, let's be honest. <laughs> no. I wouldn't, no. Amika says a brand new yeah, anime version of Doctor Who. I mean, I struggle to get through the animations myself, so... <laughs> Yeah. Oh no, not not the Macro Terror. The Macro Terror is great. I said, my my housemate who watched it with me actually was uh, hadn't watched a lot of Doctor Who, so um, I was quite surprised it went down so well. Must have been the way they they did it visually. Mm. Obviously, it's got a different style to it. I mean, they've all got a different style, but it is quite mm. almost anime. Maybe you caught up on a good day, Mark. Yeah, yeah, he had just had a massive bong. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I think the scriptwriter was probably having one at the same time when he wrote it. So uh... I've got a couple of black and whites uh, in my list, but I was trying to think of criteria as to why I wouldn't show people a certain mm. story. A because it's crap. B because uh, it might be slightly controversial by today's standards. Uh, three because <laughs> A, B, and C because <laughs> <laughs> it might be partially missing, like you've already said. I took the black and white thing into account because that, that didn't really bother me. I couldn't really include it. So I, I put two stories in. Um, one of them was the Celestial Toy Maker. Oh, yeah. Because it is monotonous and it is fairly boring and it has William Hartnell doing a racism in it. And then the second Hartnell story was The Smugglers. And I was sort of working on the on sort of the 
context of if this thing existed, let's say, for those two stories, not much really happens in it. And I've read the Target novel, I've seen the Telesnap reconstruction, and I've listened to the soundtrack, and it's still quite monotonous and quite boring at a time when the historicals were being phased out. I mean, obviously, we only had the Highlanders after that, and that was it. So um, I don't think it really represents what Doctor Who became. All right. I wouldn't show it to somebody who might... So I I disregarded it for that. I mean, I've never actually um, seen that one. No, because that's because it's post massacre. Struggler's Savages and um, Twin Dilemma, the three I've uh, I never managed to plug up the uh, um, the energy to watch. Well, there's a podcast there ready to go, isn't it? Really, <laughs> Doctor Who stories I've never watched. Oh, it is actually, isn't it? Yeah, two of them would have to go through bloody. Reconstructions, yeah. wouldn't I? So um, maybe we could do a twin dilemma, and it might, I might sort of, you know, completely change my opinion of Collins here. The chances of that are relatively small. Yeah. Something yeah. tells me not. <laughs> You've got as much chance of rejoining Europe than uh, your opinion of t- changing. Mine, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Again, on that subject, um, as we say, it can depend on who sort of person you're trying to introduce to it, because I would have thought that something like the Celestial Toy Maker. And even um, stuff like um, with Toberman, two of the Cybermen, and the what was the, what was the circus strongman called in uh, Terror of the Autons? Big, whatever he's called. Yeah. And even the um, never-to-be-mentioned Towns of Wen Chiang would be quite good if you're trying to um, introduce Doctor Who to a member of the current <laughs> British government. <laughs> Maybe they'd be quite disappointed. I love this. I'm going to buy a whole pile of old Doctor Who DVDs on Amazon. And then maybe as they're watching the others, they might be thinking, but where are all the stupid black men? I've I've been misled here. Where are all the people (laughs) pretending to be Chinese? Oh, this is very disappointing. Where are all the rhymes about um, eeny, meeny, miny, mo? I have included Tomb as well for that reason. Because I thought, well, that that fits one of the criteria. But, yes, but I have yeah. actually introduced people to Doctor Who with Tomb in the past. And let's not forget, ladies and gentlemen, that Matt Smith was introduced to Doctor Who by Stephen Moffat with Tomb of the Cybermen. But I adored it. I think you can watch a show's shortcomings and, and, and it doesn't necessarily spoil the entire story for you. Yeah, that's right. Uh, very early mm. on in Polly's watching, I, I, I that's my daughter who would have been uh 15 so when i started watching classic doctor who with her possibly so it's probably i mean she's 21 now um but i think fairly early on i i uh i showed her towns of wang chiang and i mean she's very like socio-politically aware she's very um you know, conscious of, of these things. As I, I mean, I, I, I would say she's very woke, but I don't mean it in a, in a derogatory manner. I mean, just mean um, in it as many sort of teenage kids are, especially. Yeah. I showed her it, and, and she, <laughs> she absolutely loved her dance of Wang Chang. Mm. When I asked her to give it a score at the end of it, I think she said, "Oh, I'd, I'd probably give that a ten. I think it's one of the best Doctor I've ever seen." I said, "What?" Oh, wow. Even despite the uh, the the racism involved in the production of it, and she said, "Well, yeah, I'd maybe knock a point off for that actually." <laughs> but she was like, <laughs> "I don't know." She kind of saw it in context, but I, I, I suppose it's a privilege to be able to ignore the Chinese stuff or something. But it's uh, but she yeah. Uh, 
she really liked him for it was a really good episode and I've shown I have shown Tan to Wing Chang to friends who are my age it's not the first Doctor Who they've ever seen they're, they're not regular watchers of Doctor Who so for them it was um, they can recognise what's wrong with the episode but they can still in, enjoy the story because you can understand the context of when it was made and that's the important thing depending on the person yeah you'd have to be you, you, you would have to be careful who you, who you showed it to I suppose I, I, I mean I guess one of the things is I, I probably would be Embarrassed to show it to a Chinese friend? Well, I think that and that's a big another big thing for me is there's lots of stories that were I'm watching it and I think I'll be you know often in, um, they'll say what did the not we think mm. about a story that's just come out uh, and I'm thinking oh god I hope someone I hope there's no one who's not already a, a dedicated Doctor Who fan watching this because be so embarrassed either younger people or um, I don't know, often, uh, let's say, uh, people from other countries watching it. Usually, not because of the things like the racism, but mainly often because I just think, oh, God, this is all over that bloody place. You look at something like Time Flight, <laughs> I would be really embarrassed showing you on that. Now, for the same reason, I don't think it would work as um, uh, as a first story for someone. But that my main reason for not showing you on time flight would not be oh this wouldn't this wouldn't catch them for the show it would maybe just be, it would be so bloody embarrassing yeah cheap and tacky he just reinforces that fact and go why are you <laughs> hey I thought you were my friend why are you putting me through this but having said that I it's probably roundabout time flights that I first start thinking that I don't know that there are any shows up to that I might think oh god this is boring. Uh, or this is, um, particularly once the JNT era kicked off, this is starting to be a bit too full of backstory. But it's only towards that sort of time, things like Time Flight and Arc of Infinity, that I start thinking, God, this is such a badly told story. And so all over the place and, so, and such crappy characterization. And maybe this just says a lot about my, uh, me being more, um, a classic fan than a new fan. That's four and a half Doctors worth before it starts getting bad with that. Mm. I've always thought that when it comes to when I've listened to these to, to these guys many years that I've podcasted with them heard them speak about the 70s as the you know obviously like this golden era of, of the show that is kind of untouchable it, it's because you've grown up with it mm. and I've always felt that one of the advantages of mm. being a child of the wilderness years is that I can look at both the new and the old series and bridge the gap, as it were, and kind of look at it almost sort of subjectively, I guess. Oh, yeah. Again, I can see the faults, but I can see the good in the things, even when there are faults there. So, which is why I can completely understand that I've got a bit of a running joke on the show that I hate Horns of Nymon. Well, as a Doctor Who story, I think it's awful. <laughs> but after listening to Mark passionately talk about the joy that it brings him I'm not going to hate on it just because mm. someone else and, and he isn't the only person as well there are many friends of the Nymon on, on, uh, out, out there so I don't mind it it's fun I've seen three yes there are <laughs> <laughs> How many have you seen today, Aiden? Three. Um, <laughs> he said he was the only one. This is when it gets a bit difficult when it comes to you know stuff like the Jodie Whittaker era now that we're kind of living through. Is that I personally, you know, I haven't enjoyed it because it's been so bloody patchy. But there have been stories that I really, really liked, and it's the same for all, all the Doctor's eras. So I, I can look back at, at 
Pertwee era and I can say that there are things on my list like Colony in Space and Frontier in Space that I wouldn't recommend to people. Mm. Um, the Mutants. Monster of Peladon! Yeah, I have got that here actually, yeah. It's a Monster of Peladon. And then with um, Tom Baker's stuff, I have I put down Talons because of that whole, you know, the non-PC um, aspect to it. Um, but I've also put down um, something like the Armageddon Factor, which I actually enjoy. I actually derive quite a lot of enjoyment from that. That's dreadful. But it, it's the end of, of a season-long arc. So that would be a really bad mm. jumping on point for someone, which is, I want to come into that with the new series in a bit. Mm. But I've also put down, down stuff like um, Megalos, <laughs> and also <Yeah. laughs> and jumping back a bit in uh, the Tom Baker era. Um, I've even put down... <laughs> I don't know. This might this might be a bit controversial. I don't, don't know how you guys will feel about this, but um, the Deadly Assassin actually, I don't think would be a good jumping on point. Yeah, because it's full of fan wank at the beginning. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's another criteria: fan wank. There we go. It's actually like the TV movie. You think about it. It's got a monologue at the beginning of it, well, where yeah. the sc- mm. scroll was going up, giving you a backstory. It's also not really that representative, is it? There's no companion. Oh, that's a good point. Not being representative, is that something you could level at a lot of the early Pertwee until he got his TARDIS working? Yeah, mm. that's a point. I mean, people would just be going, mm. what? He's got... So he's got this weird thing in a garage. You, you, you know, okay. spearheading space I wouldn't include in, in, in this list, obvious, for obvious reasons. That that that's that, that probably wouldn't... That would be... Although, again, that would give people the wrong idea because you're given this beautifully filmed episode and then every other John Pertwee episode's like on videotape or whatever. If you then go launch into Doctor expecting it to be like that, at least then you've got a whole getting on for three years, which is like that, haven't you? It's not like suddenly um, I've, I've just watched City of Death and I might have to wait another ten years if I have, before I find anything of quite of that quality. I can hear uh, Mr. Charlton raging up in Manchester even as we, I speak. There's, there's a fair amount of stuff there, isn't there? Where it's, not, it's not entirely... It might be um, un, non-representative of the show as a whole, but it's, it's perfectly well representative of the Pertwee era. That's true. Yeah, maybe. But I, I mean, I wouldn't have, like... I, I would say Inferno would be a bad one to introduce people because I don't think you can appreciate what's going on in the uh, mirror universe yeah if that's your first episode it doesn't really have any um doesn't resonate does it you know seeing the the brigadier with an eye patch it's just like oh is that the same guy we saw earlier why he now he's wearing an eye patch and it's be like uh, with my list i've tried not to put down stories that i just don't really like or that i don't think a lot of i've tried to put down Stories that I actually like, <laughs> but mm-hmm. probably still shouldn't show them to somebody. <laughs> it's getting that balance, isn't it, really? And yeah, I think yeah. that's what I was, I was sort of struggling with a bit. Actually, Archie put down Underworld. Oh, God, that's dreadful. Terrible story to show. Because yeah. really, if somebody goes, oh, I want to see a bit of Tom Baker mm. and Leela, they go, okay, well, to be honest, it goes back. It's a time flight scenario where, <laughs> you know, Underworld is pretty boring. Again, you've got a bit of fan wank at the beginning. The CSO effects just mm. reinforced why are you showing me this I thought you liked me <laughs> yeah so that's definitely one I wouldn't show back to Megloss actually you mentioned before um, I was trying to get my son into it he was five at the time and I put on Revenge of the Cybermen on because I think he was sick and I was staying home that day and Revenge had just come out on DVD it was coupled with the Silver Nemesis box set there oh I remember that yeah Bizarre pairings, like your mate Dan was doing at the time. Hayden. <laughs> so I put a Revenge of the Sidemen for him, and I was watching it, and I was enjoying it, because I love it. At the end of the episode, he'd say, again, 
I go, okay, mm. we'll just keep going and watching. I said, oh, fantastic. I've managed to uh, get him into the program. Anyway, the next DVD came out and it was Megalos. <laughs> Needless to say, <laughs> the scene sinking loving cactus didn't inspire much confidence in him. <laughs> and he basically toddled off. I did try him again, actually, with the 11th hour when he's a little bit older, but still nothing. Not oh. interested whatsoever. So, um, yeah, sort of failed a bit on that one, actually. So that was a bit of a personal experience. Yeah, if, if I was going to... To try to show somebody a Tom and Leela episode, I think I, yeah, I, I agree. Underworld, but also um, I wouldn't show them the Invisible Enemy, and I, oh, yeah. I wouldn't show them the Invasion of Time either because that oh. would just be far too confusing. Yeah, I can quite happily sit and watch the Invasion of Time. It's not a great Leela story, is it? <laughs> um, no. I mean, I mean, the protagonists are, are, are you know, you got the Sontarans who only turn up at the end. That Tardis interior is is completely. Bonkers. <laughs> Disappointing. They could have put some paper plates on the wall. Yeah, um, <laughs> the doctor's behaviour in it. It, 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 it. It's designed to sort of like confuse people who are watching the show, who've been watching it for a while, <laughs> let alone, you know, people who've just, just tuned in. This is your first episode. You'd just be like, what? Yes, you could end up thinking he's quite a dark doctor, couldn't mm, you? Yeah. Exactly. The Invasion of Time turned me off Doctor Who for a while. Oh, was it the accents of the Sontarans? <laughs> it was or? the Vardens. It was the um, the tin foil, like sort of shaking above them. I just thought, what is this crap? <laughs> mm. This isn't the Doctor Who I know and love. I think it would be hard for anyone to take seriously the interior of the TARDIS, wouldn't it? Because it, cause it's maybe you have to be of a certain age to accept industrial action. <laughs> <laughs> industrial action, that sort of thing. <laughs> Because no, it simply wouldn't get made, would no. it? With that sort of thing. Industrial action sounds like a 90s dance band, doesn't it? Is industrial action. And <laughs> that's the end of tonight. Produced by Ian Levine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's terrible. What else you got there, Mark? Like I said, it's all stuff that I like, though. Like the three doctors. You couldn't really show... What'd be the point in showing that to somebody? I don't think that would work. Yes. That's... The Green Death would be a complete waste on someone who's never seen it before. Because you need to... One, you need to... You need to be well versed in the Mikey H trilogy to properly enjoy yeah, it. Um, <laughs> uh, you need to appreciate the character of Joe Grant as well to yeah. appre- uh, to to get the the most out of it. It, it would just be a, a, an absolute waste. I, I, take those things away from it. I, I'm not. I, I think that you, you take a lot of the uh, the goodness out, out of the story. One one of my favourite um, ever Doctor Who stories is Invasion of the Dinosaurs, but I. I Although I showed that to Polly quite early on because I know she's she's <laughs> she's got a strong stomach, um, <laughs> I, I knew that she 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 wouldn't mind the uh, special effects. I would worry about the special effects and and just the fact that is that I love the plot and everything, but is there too much going on? Yeah, is it too confusing? And like you said, Monster of Peladon, and definitely there's there's no point. I think with any of these. Really, there's no point showing the, the final episode of a Doctor. So there's no, no point showing them Planet of the Spiders mm. because, uh, it, well, especially Planet of the Spiders, because again, it's whole everything that I enjoy about it is the fact that it is that uh, as, as it's been said many times before. I, I think um, Dave Kitchen uh, uh, of your parish um, <laughs> once said said to me, "It's, it's just a, like a John Pertwee greatest hits," and I said, "Yes, yeah, that's exactly what it is." Yeah, I, I mean, also Planet of the Spiders. It's those spiders, isn't it? Yeah, Voices of the Spiders, Spider Council. <laughs> just like it's not into the Spider Verse, is it? 
<laughs> no, no. no, it's not. No. no. Yeah, you're right. I love dinosaurs as well. And I'm hoping and praying that for the 7 Eleven box set that they they just do something with the dinos just so it gets a bit more love than what it does. We could look past it, which what's the charm of Doctor Who is, right? But yeah, some other people, if you gave it that to look at, they'll just go, I've seen Jurassic Park. This is Jurassic Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bugger off sort of thing. So, um, yeah. yeah, invasion of time. Have you watched the special edition, Hayden, of that story with the uh, revised Varden uh, shimmering effects? I mean, would you, Mark? <laughs> Which Mark? Me? Or that Mark? <laughs> Temporary marker. <laughs> Either or. <laughs> it would have been simpler and more effective to leave the uh, shimmering effects and just change the voices. I've got to be honest. I mean, it, it, it's a story I revisited uh, at the start of lockdown, actually. And... I don't really ever want to go back to. I just don't like it. It's just poor, isn't it? So I watch Threads and you watch Invasion of Time. Mm, interesting parallels. <laughs> mm. Power of Kroll as well. I, mm. I don't think I'd want to show anyone. Uh, I, again, it's one that I, I enjoy, but I can't. And, and the model of Kroll looks amazing, but it's that Horizon 9. Yeah. It's so harsh, it stands out too much. And, and, and uh, lots of people running around painted green is just a bit... But the monster's got to be green, Mark. The monster's got to be yeah. green. Racist. Yes, but they're not monsters, they're peoples. No, I would definitely not show the key to time season to anybody, really. Try and get a newbie onto it. See, I'd be quite happy to show some people Stones of Blood. That's fairly standalone, isn't it? I'd show the pirate planet. I don't know that um, the reboss operation's that confusing, is it? I mean... Well, that's the start of the format for the for the season, isn't it? So, I mean, that's yeah, a bit more so, of a that's a, that potentially a good jumping on point. Yeah, so I'm not sure I agree with with with, with uh, to the mark on 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 not any of season sixteen. Season seventeen, on the other hand, <laughs> <laughs> I think to be honest, Warriors not Warriors Gate. Sorry, uh, Creature from the Pit would be my uh, one that I'd, 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 I I I think I'd take out of that. Creature from the pit, I'd definitely steer away from. Definitely. I couldn't bear to be sat there with somebody, you know, even if they're kind of enjoying that story, as soon as uh, uh, <laughs> Irato turns up, I'm, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the death knell, surely. Yeah, they probably thought, why have you switched it on to Pornhub? <laughs> What's Pornhub, Mark? Moving on, Doc, you say? <laughs> Mark, how exactly did you manage to... Nearly confused Creature in the Pit with Warriors Gate. Uh, because they're written down next to each other. <laughs> and one's got production values and the other one doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, Warriors Gate is an excellent story. I, I really like Warriors Gate. Yeah, it is. It's great, yeah. I don't think that's a good story to to introduce people to Doctor Who. Unless they're terribly highbrow and really into the uh, I Ching. Yes. You, I mean, you could say that about um, Ghostlight, couldn't you? Oh, Yes. Except that Ghostlight is slightly more, perhaps slightly more attractive in that they're in, um, you know, they're all in period costume and in some kind of period location. Otherwise, well, unless you you included um, a documentary explaining what uh, it all means, I still don't understand Warriors Gate or Ghostlight. I was just going to say for Ghostlight, you have it suddenly turns around to you after that and say, "What was all that about?" You'd have to say, just hold on for a second, I'll just dig out the extra talking about the plot. Oh. A bit like mm. what they had to do for Flux. Was What's this? Flux. They had Chris Chibnall explaining the plot of Flux. Uh, really? Yeah, which is like another trial of time, a parallel. Is that, I think, was it from Mind Warp onwards? So they had to do like these like little recaps at the beginning with like these stills and sort of tell people the plot. This is the um, new series Trial of a Time Lord. Oh, God. The irony of that, eh? Yeah, exactly. exactly. History doesn't repeat, but it rhymes, <laughs> eh? <laughs>
So for the Davison era, Doc mentioned Time Flight before and Ark of Infinity. I have a snap on Ark of Infinity. Yeah. Because um, of all the backstory and, you know, it's, it's just it's, it's too sunk in it. But I, I think Four to Doomsday is a contender in this list as well. It's a bit of an oddity. Oh, we're not including rubbish like that. I'm sorry, did you say Four to Doomsday or Fortitude to Doomsday? <laughs> <laughs> Same thing, actually, really. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that would be a very good jumping on point for a fan, for a potential fan, mm. let's say. I've, I have got Warriors of the Deep. Um, <laughs> I mean, listen to our podcast, our next episode, uh, listeners, because I kind of go further in on, it's a shame that it's something you can't really show to your mates uh, if you've never seen oh. Who before. Uh, and I, actually, you know, I'm kind of cleaned out after that. that. That's kind of it for me for Davison. But then he's got less stories there for the Doctors from here on in, isn't there? So it's... Uh... I've gone hard on the Peter Davison, put all of season 20 <laughs> on to show a new fan. <laughs> uh, he's gone two-footed on his shin. That's what he's done. I mean, Ark of Infinity, obviously, like you say, and the backstory. Snake Dance is so heavily based on, obviously, sequel to Kinder. Mordred Undead. I've got no hope of anyone who's not already a fan getting to grips with that, surely. Mm, yeah. Terminus, I, I actually like, but I think it's probably a little bit too much of an acquired taste if you're average newcomer to Who. Yeah. Enlightenment, as far as I'm concerned, obviously brilliant, but you have got the problem that it's a lot of it's based around um, Turlo hearing... Uh, talking to the, his flashing light in his hand and stuff and all that Black Guardian stuff. I think it might be a little bit too... Fan wanky. Yeah. I, and then King's Demons is just, well, it, it's just mere frippery, really, isn't it? Um, I'd chuck in Black Orchid as well on that one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't know about Black Orchid. I mean, it's quite... It's quite a, a good period piece. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't really watch it more than, more than once because I can't stand the crew at that uh, time. But... Um, <laughs> Educating food put you off with confidence. You'd be happy to show a newbie that you reckon, Doc? Oh well, yeah, I think so. It wouldn't put me off. I wouldn't. I, mean, I wouldn't watch it myself <laughs> at all, unless we were having to, going to re- reviewing it on the podcast. Not the same thing for me as say. I mean, there's huge swathes of uh, the classic era post Legopolis that I wouldn't uh, go near with a barge pole, but I wouldn't necessarily say, "Oh, that's not a good a good idea to put people off," because I simply think of that. Oh, that's, that's not necessarily a, a poor story. It's just my it doesn't fit in with my taste. There aren't there aren't a huge number that uh, I, I would use. Mark's most deadly attack weapon, which is the expression mere frippery. <laughs> what about Earthshock? Really? Yeah, because it's pace and a kind of style that that's well, it's very sayward. But um, but uh, again, it's like um, Joe Grant leaving in um, in. In the Green Death, does the Death Vadric seem to throw that away on, on somebody's first watch? They're, they're not interested in the character at all. Yeah. Would it not reassure people that new no. fans are suppressed? <laughs> At least the show does end, off, end up killing off people like Adric. Oh, bully. <laughs> Five Doctors I've got down as well. Isn't that one of the first ones you watched, Hayden? No, it wasn't. One of only two stories that my youngest sister used to sort of hoard in her bedroom the uh, the Five Doctors and Remembrance of the Daleks. They were the only two classic stories that she uh, sort of used to nick off me and I used to find them in her bedroom, the, uh, the DVDs. That's a good way of getting the, the whole regeneration uh, shtick off to people right away. Because although, yes, there's, there's tons of... Um, by definition, it's all 
backstory, mm. isn't it? Just looking back mm. on how lovely how we're watching um, Pat Troughton's here again, and there's someone who's they've had to bring on to play Bill Hartnell. Hey, it's not something I particularly watch myself that often. Um, it's enough of a story that people might think, oh, this is quite entertaining and engaging. And maybe they might think, oh, I quite liked him. I'll go and watch, I'll look out for some of the stories with um, that girl who can't climb up very gentle inclines without a rope properly. (laughs) I I really like that girl in the plastic dress. I'm going to watch more episodes with Zoe in. Oh, God, my mum used to have one of those. Green one, she was she was turned up at a school prize giving in it. My one and only prize. Give me the prize. I was actually gonna suggest something here which might shock you, but it sort of ties a bit with what Mark was saying before. Case of Androzani. <laughs> it's not a typical Doctor Who story. It's actually the best Blake Seven story never made. It's dramatic, yes, it's got plenty of intrigue, it's got it's fairly action packed, it's bleak. Doctor Who has that, that sort of tightrope almost between a bit of fun and a bit of a lot of drama. You know, things like Pyramids of Mars or Robots of Death, I and mean, they're just outstanding bits of television, and they're bloody good Doctor Who as well. But this one here, yeah, I just don't think it's a really good example to show a newbie. I know how, I mean, probably put it in the other bucket saying this is probably maybe to show a newbie, I'm not too sure. But I mean, I remember at high school in the 1800s when I was there. <laughs> There was a group of like semi Doctor Who fans there at school, and and there was sort of at lunch times they didn't have many friends. They said, "Oh, have you got any Doctor Who stories?" So, yeah, I could bring some in. So I had a had a, a copy of Case of Androzani, unedited, of course. I said, "You're going to love this, guys," because I bigged it up so much. This is the best Doctor Who story ever. You know, this is fantastic. Went off and did my thing, and then I came back and I said, "What do you think, boys?" They said, "It's good, but it's overrated." And apparently, because I've never egged it so much, never met what they thought it was going to be. It's a semi Doctor Who fan. So- who's quite quite excited by the show who doesn't really go all the way for them I think it was that, that sort of sweet spot again between becoming a fan fan watching it regularly TV wise where I was sort of I was going into joining fandom and, and, and things like that so when I say semi fan it's like not as bad as me oh, God. you know I had one person in high school say to me I used to love watching Doctor Who until I started hanging out with you now you just talk all about it all the time uh, what a prick <laughs> That brings us fairly neatly onto uh, <laughs> onto um, the twin dilemma, doesn't it? Yeah, the, the story that Doc has uh, yet to watch, but will be on a podcast coming to you soon. I think. Um, how do I say this? Just let it out. It's shit. Hold on, it's shit, but still better than Death in Heaven. No, I completely disagree. <laughs> I'm just going to hang up now, Hayden. I think this is one of the worst, <laughs> one of the worst things ever committed to, to television. I mean, and I've seen, and let's not forget, the BBC made Jim will fix it for 20 years. <laughs> yeah. It's awful. It's badly misjudged. It's it's garish. The story is terrible. The dialogue is awful. <laughs> the acting is awkward. The music's Farty. Yeah. It's like a Jackson Pollock, but not a very good mm. one. It's just someone's thrown a load of stuff against a canvas and gone, there you are. And that's it. I can only imagine what it must have been like to have watched Caves and been blown away by it and then be forced to eat this utter crud the next week. Must have just been terrible. Yeah, it was so jarring. It was unbelievable. Over in Australia, we had to wait six months to see Caves of Androzani mm. from Resurrection because there was... Uh, had transport issues and then we saw Caves of Androzani and part four went for about three minutes because I edited the hell out of it and then you go into this and you just go what's going on mm. <laughs> what's going on here I was like 12 when it was out and the excuses I made for it afterwards I oh, were trying to be brave we're trying to do this it's like 
No, it was actually just really, really shit. Yeah. I worry about putting. Um, I, I don't mean this is a massive insult to Colin Baker era, but I, I, I think m- most of the Colin Baker era, I, I would w- worry about putting on. Uh, but a, a, a lot of that is down to that coat, yeah. which I, I absolutely hated. I just think it. I, I've been saying, you know, oh, I can overlook the crappy monsters in Invasion of the Dinosaurs and and stuff and and all that, but. Uh, I, I, I don't know why for some somehow I've, I've never really been able to forgive that coat um, I, because it, it just it it felt to me at that time as well like um, uh, it, somebody was deliberately trying to turn the show into a laughing stock you know it, it, I, I was very seriously into Doctor yeah. Who and it felt like well this just makes me look stupid thanks a lot Um because it's suddenly this this guy in this ridiculous coat is is front yeah. and center. Uh, I, I, my, my feelings towards it have mellowed somewhat over the years, but I, I, I just anything with that coat in, I struggle to to choose. But perhaps maybe I I, I could watch Vengeance on Varus. I know I watched that with some of my friends when I was showing them some classic Doctor Who's um, sort of a selection from throughout the era, and I I, I put Vengeance on Varus. On um, and and they they really enjoyed that. I think a lot of that may have been down to uh, uh, Perpigillian Brown. Oh yes, yes. Uh. So I'd, I'd struggle, and, and obviously the the, the twelve time old seasons. Yeah, that that's on, that's on my list. Tricky. Yeah. Possibly, I think with Perry, and it's not a good idea to to offer as a starter to a newbie American. <laughs> oh, no, perhaps not. I'd do it just to annoy them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. This is the thing, I mean, we haven't done our retrospective yet on Colin Baker's time as the Doctor, but it's just, a, it's such a shame because it, it, it sort yes, of... have? No, we haven't yet. No, we haven't. We haven't done Colin Ooh. yet. No, we haven't. Doc should be watching Twin Dilemma as part of it then, shouldn't he? Absolutely, he should. We're doing the David Tennant one soon, aren't we? So that that's what's... Uh, oh, my condolences on that one. Yeah, my thoughts exactly. But um, it just doesn't have that much that makes it stand out. You know, McCoy had Fenric and Remembrance, and you know, and they stand out as classic Doctor Who stories. You know, proper classic Doctor Who stories that you can show to people. You know, um, and Colin Baker. Even though I, I'm, this may surprise you, I, I like Vengeance on Varos and I like um, Revelation, and I actually like Terror of the Vervoids. I find that quite fun, which surprised me because it's uh, Pip and Jane Baker and I've never been a big fan of their writing. Mm. It just isn't strong enough. It doesn't stand on its own two feet. It's just too brief an era as well. You know, there's only eight stories. So there's just nothing there, really, for us to get our teeth into before he was, you know, obviously whipped out, out of the role. So, tricky era. Tricky era. You couldn't show newbie any of it, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, Varos isn't that bad. yeah. But you got the whole sulking for twenty minutes at the beginning. That's the sticking point. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Being a prick, you know what I mean? It's like really, yeah, having a hissy fit. Like, oh, unless somebody does a fan edit of it to remove that scene, I think the rest of it's actually perfectly great. Mm. But just that, it's just those interminable tiger scenes where just people bickering all the time. Oh, yeah. Two doctors would be a terrible choice, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You could argue the whole try the time lord thing was not the only reason it'd be a bad idea to introduce someone to it, but it would give someone to a completely off kilter idea of what the structure of the show's like. Yeah. Wouldn't it? Mm. Several individual stories a season in se- in several episodes. Yeah, it's it's not great. 
And then speaking of not great, season 24. Could you show anybody, given the low sales of the box set, maybe not, could you show a non-fan any of it? I mean, I was giving a lot of shit at school about it at the time. I don't think I could show anybody it. At a push, you could probably show somebody Dragonfire. Yeah, probably, yeah. I don't know, especially if they're already under the impression. Because I, I, Dragonfire was the first McCoy story I saw. Okay. And I was quite excited because I, I already knew, because I, I suppose because I was already a fan, which is you know, making this point maybe null and void, but I knew Ace was very highly regarded and she started in that story. So that was sort of the jumping on point for Ace, I guess. Well, it was, obviously, but it could be a jumping on point for Ace fans, I guess, who look about retrospectively. I don't know. Wibbly wobbly timey wimey. The kind of production values and the feel of, of, of that season isn't it mm. that, that's the problem I, I, I think because I, I was surprised and delighted by how much I liked uh, how much pleasure I derived from Delta and the Bannerman when we did our Sylvester McCoy rewatch mm. and but I, I wouldn't dream of showing that to somebody it's their first episode of Doctor Who no so to me a lot of the Sylvester McCoy era it, it feels a little bit like it's been produced for, for kids TV even when it's really even when the, the stories are quite dark and adult it still feels to me like it's got kind of production values more of a like a CBBC like children's BBC programme rather than yeah I agree or rather than like a prime time ratings winner yeah I know what you mean I think it's the videotape because everything was just shot on video and, and the lighting was just pulled pushed to 11 except for ghost light and was reduced to minus 11. I think that whole videotaping look of it just makes it look yeah, cheap. Yeah, it, mm. it does. Where at least in the seasons beforehand, you had that mixture of film and gave it some sort of class as a word, but just, yeah, it's just really garish, isn't it, really? The opening titles and things like that don't help as well. No, I think there's lots that's aged quite badly. I, I mean, I, I, I do think... Even the character of Ace has kind of aged a bit. I still find her a bit... Mm. Well, actually, I probably like her more now than, than I did at the time, but uh, I remember at the time finding her a bit cringeworthy but, uh, with all her yeah. youth yeah. slang and stuff. But... Did you hear any youth talking like that at the time? <laughs> no. And I'm, inclu- and, I'm, and I'm including myself in that. What, you mean a shut-it, dirt-brain, white kids bombed someone's house? I don't know. Oh... Happiness Patrol, I wouldn't show anybody either, really. What about Remembrance of the Daleks, though? Yeah, I would. I'd be very comfortable showing somebody that, actually. You used to get called but Sylvester McFuck <laughs> at school <laughs> when it was on. And I think that would Remembrance of the Daleks would readdress that balance of it, I think. You don't think there's too much backstory to it? I think it's hinted at more. Do you think that the story's just so good it's not relevant? I think you're right, Mark. I think it just sort of sweeps you along a bit. I don't think it's as forced as what it, it, it is in my next selection, put it that way. Fairly understated. I'm not sure I'd show a, a newbie any classic Dalek story. No? Because to a genuine newbie, I wonder if it's even possible for a newbie not to be aware of them already anyway. Cultural icons, but mm. a oh, genuine newbie. Exactly. They are pretty ridiculous, aren't they? It's only because several generations of us have glo- grown up thinking as children, thinking of them as if we. If you're introducing a newbie, no, I don't think any of us are thinking of oh, we're going, to, we're introducing a five-year-old kid to this, are we? Yeah. It's probably going to be someone at least, as Mark says, with probably you know mid-teens onwards, and so it's really. Well, you've got and, and several generations of people who've grown grown up being terrified them, of them as small children, and then 
it's the memory of that plus the their sort of uh, prominence as a design icon that stops you thinking, oh, that's ridiculous. I wonder if someone's coming completely new to it. I remember um, that Cold Open song on Craig Ferguson's show, Elements of That, where he's, he's actually got the Black Dalek on his um, set. And you can hear the... Um, you can hear the studio audience sort of laughing at it. Not endearingly, as someone might do in a British audience, but just thinking it's not that ridiculous sort of way. Yeah. I think you'd have to be very careful. Uh, I can understand it with maybe something like Dalek in Eccleston's first series, because cause at least they look beautiful. Yeah. Whereas sort of um, wobbly, wobbly nonsense you get in uh, uh, a lot of Doctor Who. Or even maybe the second story of all back in 63 of the Daleks were, you know, they're that black and white. That, that almost makes them scary in itself, I think, that. Because it, it is faded, um, whereas the, as you get towards colour in the classic era... They lose it a bit, don't they? I'm a big fan of the uh, silver Daleks from uh, Death to Daleks, and also I do I do like a, um, the, the dark grey Daleks from Planet and uh, Genesis, so... Mm, I don't know. Speaking of Daleks, I'm going to mention the next one, uh, the TV movie. This is an awkward one because this was my jumping on point. Yeah. But, but I have to confess, I think the jumping on point for me was more that Radio Times pullout. That was the precursor mm. to this, the return of the Time Lord pullout, which we've so, you know, am- amazingly been re- uh, reproduced recently by, by Doc for, for our um, <laughs> Eighth Doctor retrospective, which I still want as a poster, that actually. <laughs> I want to put it up in my office because it was fantastic. Well, you nearly got it for as your secret Santa last year, Hayden, until I, um, real, I realised how much it would cost to get it reproduced. So what I've got instead is the equally awesome, fantastic, um, original... Actual one, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which was outstanding so that that's up here instead i'd like to put them t- together though do you know what i mean <laughs> our, our, um, our reconstruction but no it was um i think it's a nightmare actually for someone starting and if i hadn't have had that radio times pull out i probably never would have bothered um so i can completely understand why people wouldn't get on board with it almost the first sentence actually isn't it yeah it is. yes it was on the planet scaro that the Timeline's put the master on trial, and it, oh god! <laughs> yeah, you got monologue. You got the whole thing about regeneration. You'd see McCoy there. He hasn't been in the program since the '89, and it's a perfect example of how not to reboot a series. You know, it's no wonder Dan Connor suffered a heart attack on Roseanne while it was on the same time. It's just a mess. It's like, why would you? You're trying to please the fans, really. I mean, Hayden, the way you sort of sounded like you're reading the pullout, it's almost like you're doing pre-reading homework before you had to watch it. Yeah, I was, yeah. It's just the wrong approach to um, to relaunch a series. If I was watching it new, I'd be going, what is going on? As you go through it, you're still going, mm. what is going on? <laughs> to be honest. It's just a shame, really. It could have been so different. I mean, it's unrepresentative of anything else as well, isn't it? So, uh, in, mm. in, in Doctor Who, so... But then again, the UK did really well, though, didn't it, from a ratings perspective? So that audience could have been made up of obviously classic fans and then maybe people watching it for the first time that heard about it, like, you know, Hayden and his, and his pull out there. So if you showed it to a, uh, the TV movie to a newbie and they said, oh, this is great. Can you get me some more? You would have to say, oh, sorry, you can't watch another, you can't watch another for another nine years. <laughs> Yeah, you sort of say, you have to endure what you had to endure, so you're not watching it until 2000 and whatever, uh, since the nine years have passed. 
Because they didn't, they didn't have to wait, did they, really? Which uh, then bounces into the, uh, the new series for, of Doctor Who. Now, you could say there are multiple jumping on points that you could show people, but uh, I'm interested to hear what uh, you guys have to think about what you could um, not show a newbie to uh, jump onto the new series. Well, there's not much here for me. Mm, again, I agree. There's a, there's a huge, a huge, huge long swathe of stuff I wouldn't watch again unless you put a gun to my head. But there's nothing that I actually mm. would think... But I love Lottie's, I think it's just my taste. We've seen how wildly popular an actor like David Tennant was. David Tennant puts me off a lot of his his era. But I recognise that a lot of people wouldn't be put off by him. Correct. Presumably younger people. So Love and Monsters probably wouldn't work because it's very much a fanny thing, isn't it? <laughs> it's very it's much a fan-related fan, um, thing. Who yeah. were? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, actually, because I think it's just... It's just crap, and people just wouldn't watch want to watch anything more because they think, oh, it's not. This isn't very interesting at all. Mm. The Daleks in Manhattan two-parter. Oh, I God. hope Helen Rayner's not listening to this podcast in case it gives her uh, a nervous breakdown. But that's probably the first one that I thought. God, it's just crap and all over the place. Mm. Yeah. End of time. Oh, oh God. I would say uh, series six. Probably there's a lot. From series six, that you wouldn't want to, wouldn't want to show a, 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 a newbie. Which one's that? That's the impossible astronaut through to uh, the wedding of River Song. Let's kill Hitler. Oh, really? Yeah, David Kitchen's favourite season. I wouldn't show half of that either. I think it's rubbish. I generally like it, but I don't think. I do. Okay. That opening two parts of Impossible Astronaut, Day of the Moon, I think it's great. I just think it's just going to be confusing. Mm. A newbie, I just think, wh- wh- however much you like those two episodes. I mean, The Doctor's Wife as well, uh, a much-loved episode, but would that work for a, n- a new fan? Again, it, it kind of, one. it's one that's kind of, it's based on, if you've got no knowledge, really, of the TARDIS, it's going to be confusing again, isn't it? Yes, yeah, I don't think anyone would understand that, yeah. What I put down is basically every finale in the new series. Oh, God, yes, oh, yeah. yeah. Apart from one, which I think resets things a little bit with regard to one of the monsters in, in the back catalogue of the series, and that is uh, World Enough and Time and The Doctor Falls is probably my only exception because it kind mm. of serves as a Cybermen origin, but then yeah. I was a little on the fence because I thought, well, you've got the whole Missy storyline, but but actually that kind of works too because it's fairly clear right from the off this is someone who's trying to be rehabilitated coming up against someone who they used to be. And you, any Tom, Dick or Harry knows that the Doctor is a, a Time Lord who regenerates and it's clear from the off that Missy is also a Time Lord. So it makes it a lot easier, I, th- I think, to sort of hop on with that. My sister did, actually. My sister hadn't seen any Doctor Who since Deep Breath, because she was one of those who was turned off by Peter Capaldi. Uh, And then she came back and watched World Enough and Time and thought, blimey, you know, Doctor Who is really good again. So again, I suppose I'm using more of a sort of a personal basis for that. But yeah, you're right. I mean, with the Tenant stuff... Suppose, actually, anything um, anything with Rose hopping back and forth... In series four, you probably couldn't show to somebody. It's like Partners in Crime or... Oh, God, Turn Left. You couldn't show Turn Left uh, to anyone. No. Um, which is a shame, because it's a good episode. But, you know, mm. them's the rules. I didn't write them. 
<laughs> Midnight would be uh, would be an odd one as well, wouldn't it, to, to show somebody because that's so unlike anything else in that series, really. What about Rose? Rose, you could. I think anything with a character introduction, like Rose, like Smith and Jones, I suppose you could take Partners in Crime, I guess. I think you could show Silence in the Library because that's establishing River Song, isn't it? So that's. That could get someone on board with that character going forward. It wouldn't get me on board, mate, with that character going <laughs> Fair forward. Enough. But anything anything like the end of time. Please, Russell, no more of that. Jackson Pollock, a bodily fluid proportion, that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, school reunion as well. No, that wouldn't work at all. It's based on its on the impact of its returning characters, isn't it? And if you don't know who these characters are... You're not going to get the emotional resonance of it, are you, really? Which also cancels out Journey's End, doesn't it? Oh, yes. Which is mainly about bringing back um, Jack and Sarah and etc, etc, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Not necessarily a bad one, but just one that's, that's yeah, exactly that wouldn't work to draw someone in. Anything for Jodie's era, for example? Well, ironically, I would say the very worst Jodie episode story you could show to anyone would be Rosa. Yeah, because it's so good that it might actually encourage people to watch more of Jodie's era. I don't think I would inflict that on anyone. Over fifty-five is actually. A good jumping off point, <laughs> but only in the sense of jumping off a window ledge. I stopped watching it at Rosa. Oh, you did, didn't you? That's right. Yeah. If I was to look at my top five off the top of my head of Jody at the moment, it, it it's Rosa, it's Fugitive of the Jadoon, it's the Haunting of Villa, Villa Diodate, it's uh, the Victory of the Angels, and it's also the Witchfinders. And actually, funny enough, four out of those five are already seeped in backstory anyway, or part of a series long arc. So really, out them, you can only really show the Witchfinders, to be honest with you, as a one-off story. And uh, and the Target book works as that, actually, as well, I have to say. It's an era that is bound together by an arc, isn't it, really, which is still ongoing. And I think even something like um, Tied Up With My R's of the Daleks, like Doc does, um, is it Revolution of the Daleks? which is the one when Captain Jack comes back. I haven't seen it, mate. I don't know. It's revolution, isn't it? Yeah, even that, that's not a good jumping on point because you've got returning companion from the past and you've got returning villain. Um, you've got backstory mm. with uh, Chris Noth's uh, Trump. Yeah, I, I can't think of that being a great jumping on point for anybody. Oh, uh, well, depending on what happens to Chris North, um, maybe he, uh, maybe that would be a story that you won't that's want a good to point. show people. Yeah. So you've got Chris Noth and John Barrowman in the same episode, is that right? Do you know, it's odd, isn't it? 26 years at the BBC, the, the classic series was made, and it has less sex pests than the new series, and yet it was made <laughs> at the same time that Rolf Harris, Jimmy Savile and Stuart Hall were all working for the BBC. Incredible, that. Yeah, I am worried about K-9, though. <laughs> We've had a very lengthy discussion on this, so what we've done now is collated the top 10 episodes you would never show a newbie ever. The number 10 position. We're nominating The Invasion of Time. Number 9 is The Twin Dilemma. Number 8, Delta and the Bunnymen. Number 7, The TV Movie. The next one is The Wedding of River Song. And number 5 is The Deadly Assassin. And then it's all from 55. And then we have, of course, Time Flight. Then after that, we're going to have the wonderful Celestial Toymaker, not. <laughs> Followed by a rather large dollop of Trial of a Time Lord. Well, they're the stories you would not show a newbie unless you don't like them or they owe you money. <laughs>
<laughs> Fair assessment, guys. Bang on the money there, Mark, I think. Yes, I would say so. What do your listeners think? What a beautiful segue that is, Mark. We should get a job on FM radio over here. It would be vast and proven. <laughs> we posted this out on, on, on the Twitter feed, and we were actually inundated with uh, responses. To start off with, we've got John from the Ice Tombs of Telus. Hope you're not too cold there, John. He says, Megalos, giant evil pot plant. That uh, says it all, really. A. Jacobs, Time Lash. James H., who says, Long COVID sucks. I had to double-check that when I was reading it again. It says, uh, Wedding of River Song. The Pandorica opens, Journey to the Center of the Titus and Hell Bent. Andy Taylor, not the uh, former guitarist from Duran Duran, says, Attack of the Cybermen. Continuity heavy and quite gruesome. Yes, Attack of the Cybermen is uh, mm. the Colin Baker uh, Van Wank episode there, isn't it, really? At Sweeney Jed, uh, says, In Modern Who, for me, it's a tie between Curse of the Black Spot and Orphan 55, with Rings of Akaten close behind. In Classic Who, there's little to beat in terms of overall dire-ness, Paradise Towers, the Nadia story in the Nadia season. Don't get me wrong, Paradise Towers is an unbelievably original story, it's just produced and directed with all the wrong emphasis. Pecks living would have been the only thing that could have made this worse, and I'm led to believe that that was actively considered at the time. Dwayne Bunny at Earth Shadows says, The Happiness Patrol, very clever story, but for a newbie, nope. Bernard JKD, early Colin and early Sylve, and all of Jody. And Stephen Andreechen says, no matter how good they are, completely missing stories are a poor place to start because they will not have any points of reference for the performances of the regular characters, even if they are engaged by the plot. Dave from the Doctor Who show, whoever that is, City of Death. Once people see that and think it's typical Doctor Who, they'll always be disappointed after that. Maybe, but sometimes you just need to get big blonde side, don't you? Yeah. A Doctor Sinister. Mmm. Another strangely familiar name. Revelation of the Daleks. Being exposed to Doctor Who that is actually good, that challenges and demands more than emotions to respond to, and the current snowflake generation will melt into little puddles of woke. Davros lives. <laughs> yeah, well. You can tell that's Rob, can't you? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Was that another desk going as well? Why are you typing that out? Dan Talks Doctor Who said, The Dominators of all the 60s Who and associated production values is the one I struggle most with. I'm not a fan of the web planet, but at least there's some intrigue there for a new fan. Mm. <laughs> Dave Dillon, I once showed a mate Seeds of Death, a story I love. He didn't ask to see it anymore. <laughs> uh, Steve Dillon once again also said, every story has its adherence, and I myself will defend more than a few clunkers, but it's hard to imagine Mark of the Rani winning over any new converts. <laughs> yeah. Which I think it's a fair point. Jackson Hume at Doze for Days says, The Wedding of River Song, Revolution of the Daleks, Twice Upon Time. And he also goes on to say, these being choices off the top of my head that aren't about quality, but more context of knowing what's happened beforehand to need to enjoy it or know what's going on. Matt Barber at Matt Barber UK says, maybe the demons? Oh, yes. <laughs> Rob Lloyd says, ooh, great topic. The end of time for me. And uh, the Doctor Who show have said, hi guys, said, I reckon time flight. I chose a Dave over extra hard points because I have soft spots for almost all of them. But I reckon that'd be a shocker mm-hmm. for a newbie. It's a shocker for hardened fans. <laughs> <laughs> yes, spot on. Frenchie at Prodigal Sunder says, The web planet, you'll get tinnitus from the Zabi noise. 
That and Leisure Hive. Bid Media's convinced this real science is appealing. In reality, it just sends you to sleep. Linton Keneally says, I introduced my friend to Doctor Who with the story Horror of Fang Rock. Most people would say it's the worst story to start with, but he's now a Whovian. Well, that would please Rob greatly. Richard Smith from the Something Who podcast says, The Sensorites, actually a very creepy and interesting part one. Probably said the same thing about the Space Museum. But episode six, they'll be begging you to switch it off. Uh, Monster Peladon as well. You really need to have seen Curse to care about the story and its twists, and even then it would be hard. Totally agree. Pete Mullen says, uh, Time Flight, 100%. I have to throw in the right boss operation, a cold new companion, a white guardian, a quest out of the left field holding the universe in balance. Odd planet. Phil Edney says, uh, Marco Polo, seven lost episodes. I mean, I love the story, but not in the way you want to introduce someone to it. Absolutely. And uh, Sean the Mondasian Sideman says, As much as I enjoy it, probably name of the Doctor. It's very continuity heavy with Clara slotted into various Doctor's last lives in the oh, Doctor's yeah, time stream. Cool. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Wouldn't make much sense without much knowledge of the show. It didn't make much sense when I was bloody watching, I'll be honest with you. But anyway, <laughs> that's enough. The last one is from uh, Stephen Date, who says, Time Lash has a special place in my heart because that was a story that converted me to Robert of Sherwood. (laughs) 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 But the idea of classic Who was Time and the Rani and New Who was Love and Monsters. I suspect that many Doctor Who fans would say that uh, Vengeance of Varos was the story that converted them to Robert of Sherwood, but we shall see. Was that on exactly the same time as Doc Burner was on in 85? Uh, No, I don't think so, but I'm probably thinking, why can't I see some more topless um, Jason Connery photos? (laughs) That was a good show, Robert of Sherwood. Do you use the same musical cues, though? Mm. Dum dum. April 84 to June 1986. I didn't know that Herm the Hunter was played by John Abenary. Yes, he was indeed, yeah. Faming at the mouth again. Thank you very much, guys, for uh, joining me on this episode of 42 to Doomsday. Now, diddly dumb, for those who don't know where it is, quickly about it, where to find it, and what's coming up. If you want to find us, um, we're on most platforms. Uh, the simplest thing might be either to go to our blog at diddlydumbpodcast.wordpress.com or just pop onto us on Twitter on diddly underscore dumb. Episode 160 which is a review of Warriors of the Deep. <laughs> um, we thought, so oh, let's get something, uh, you know, really cheer us up after six episodes of The Flux. Then for some reason we got diverted into doing Warriors of the Deep. I'm looking forward to hearing the results of that. Excellent, Mark. This is excellent. And it's so excellent they've actually made three of the same figures in a box set. Exactly. Well, again, thank you very much, guys. Mark, Hayden, and Doc. Really appreciate you uh, helping out on this episode. We'll catch up again shortly. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having us, mate. Thank you for having us. Keep punching. You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to Doomsday.wordpress.com, where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon.